On this episode of Come Pray With Me, I interview Dr. Jilly Jenkinson. Dr. Jenkinson is a psychotherapist, writer, and activist who has dedicated much of her time and work to helping those who have been impacted by cults. This includes both people who have left cults, as well as people in the process of leaving cults and concerned loved ones. She will be going over ways to recognize a cult, as well as ways to support people who are in the process of leaving one. Welcome to the show, Dr. Jenkinson. It's a pleasure to have you as our guest today. Thank you. It's a great pleasure to be here. I'm honored. Well, I'm honored that you agreed to talk with us today, and I know you uh, have a lot on your plate and you do a lot of uh, good work for people who are in cults and a lot of uh, therapeutic work. So we just want to thank you for that here. You are very welcome. And really, my specialism is working with people who've left. So I, my uh, counseling that I offer is called post-cult counseling. Uh, and I work with people who've been spiritually abused or, you know, and uh, religious trauma, all of those kind of issues. Well, that's incredible work that you do. And there's certainly been a lot of talk about cults in the media, what with uh, movies or TV shows on famous organizations. And when people do their research, sometimes the lines between a group being a cult and being a religion can seem a bit blurry. But uh, in your perspective and in your experience, what are a few of those key differences that will separate a cult from a religion? Right. Well, I think um, healthy religion is, I think there's, there's free choice. You know, you choose to, to join that church or that uh, temple or mosque or whatever you, you, you have the choice and it's coming from you. So I think there's still autonomy within that person in a healthy religion. And there, I think faith and belief then comes from within. It's not being imposed from outside. And I think you can leave. And I think that's a, a really big distinction um, between a, a healthy religion and a cult. Shall I go on and speak about what I think a cult is? Absolutely. Um, yeah. So I think, like, I would sort of reverse that, uh, you know, for a cult, that uh, I think there isn't free choice. Um, there's coercive control, you know, coercion and control, and people are very enmeshed in it. They become dependent on the group and the leader. And I think that a faith, even though it may start from inside, it starts to become imposed from outside. And a key issue is abusive leadership, very often in a cult. You know, in a healthy religion, there's leadership, but the leadership is facilitating autonomy and facilitating people to have a personal relationship with, with a higher being or a god or whatever they, they're doing. Uh, believe in but um the leadership will always 
I think, in a cult become abusive and controlling. And there might be one leader, there might be a, a board, a governing board, or there might be a number of leaders, but there'll be a lot of control. And, I mean, I, if you like, I can read you a definition of a cult. Um, Certainly, thank you. Yeah. So um, this is a short one from Alexandra Stein, who's written a book called Terror, Love and Brainwashing, which is a very good book. And she defines the cult as a group formed and controlled by a charismatic authoritarian leader or leadership body. It is rigidly bounded, so it's not easy to lead. It's steeply hierarchical. It's an isolating social system supported and represented by a total and exclusive ideology. The leader sets in motion processes of coercive control, also known as brainwashing, designed to isolate, control and exploit their followers. So, you know, in a healthy religion, yeah, people are asked to do things in the church or in the, the temple or the whatever. But they have a choice to say no. They might struggle to say no. I know, you know, you can get involved, like someone wants you to do the flowers or the whatever, and you might struggle to say no, but that doesn't mean it's a cult, you know. Um, so I tend to think of, uh, so I think it's really important to, to, to understand what a cult is. Otherwise, it's possible to water down the actual level of control that happens in a cult. And I use Robert J. Lifton's uh, theory of thought reform as a real uh, measure of, is this a cult? This, this is a great definition I read you, but um, if thought reform is pr present, then it's a cult. And I'm very happy to give a quick overview of eight, the eight components of thought reform, if you'd like me to. Certainly. Yeah. So Robert Lifton did research into Korean and Chinese prisoners of war back in the 50s. And I, I don't know if you've heard of this theory, but I find it immensely helpful when I work with clients. And there's eight components. The first one is milieu control. So a milieu is the environment, it's the French word for environment. So it's control of the environment, physical energy, everything that you're doing, but it's also control of communication with the outside world, outside that bounded social system. And also it starts to cut you off from yourself. So hopefully within a healthy setting, any healthy setting, we're speaking to ourselves, we're thinking, reflecting, critically thinking. But within a thought reform environment, the milieu starts to be controlled in this way and it sets off in motion this kind of, this uh, level of, of, yeah, brainwashing control. But the next one is mystical manipulation where the leader, so the leader is seen to be mystical and, and they manipulate and they use that to kind of elevate themselves and to, to sort of control uh, members of the group. So they seem to be 
hearing from God all the time. Now, in a healthy religion, that may be happening, but the person has a choice to say, well, I agree or I don't agree. Within this setting, it's taken as God's word almost, like as equal to the Bible. And it's used to manipulate, but also used to elevate the leader in the eyes of the group. The next one is the demand for purity. So you have to be pure, however that's defined. As, as that group defines it, you know, so, you know, there's a lot of sexual purity, sort of purity culture may come into it, but, you know, you're not allowed to think about um, someone sexually or that's somehow really bad or sinful or whatever. So, but it's a, a level of purity is defined and put upon you by the group, not coming from yourself. Then there's the cult of confession or, or confession. So within some religious settings, you know, there's confession to a priest or whatever, but this isn't the same thing. This is about being incredibly open with everybody. But what happens is that actually gives them ammunition then to, to know too much about you and then they can attack you uh, and, and that happens a lot. So it kind of weaponizes openness. And then there's sacred science, which these are Lifton's terms, you know, is the belief system. So what happens is the religion or the belief system is turned against that individual. And again, it's kind of weaponized against them and, and used to control and not to liberate. And then loading the language is when, you know, the, the language has a special meaning within that setting. Now, most professions have like when I did my psychotherapy training I didn't know what the words meant when I first started I was like what does this mean but um so in a way the language can be loaded in lots of settings but it's loaded in that setting in order to educate people whereas in a cult it's used to restrict thinking and create uh, an atmosphere of sort of thought blocking. So you're not thinking, oh, I, I really don't agree. You have to shut down those thoughts. And it's the language, the way the language is loaded that, that enables that to happen. So doctrine over person is when the doctrine or the belief system is more important than the well-being of the individual. So people can be, you know, abused, harmed, physically beaten, all sorts of things, and in the name of a doctrine, and, and that's thought of form, part of thought of form. And then the, th the eighth one is dispensing of existence. So the group decides who, who can exist and who can't exist. And, and that's used usually metaphorically, although you'll see on some documentaries and things that it's gone much further than that. But uh, it's like, you know, if you don't belong to us, you'll go to hell or, you know, something will happen to you. Um, you won't be protected or something like that. So that's the eight components of thought reform. And I think if one learns more about that um, and, and uses that as a measure against uh, any kind of group. So cults are not only religious. Cults can be political, it can be a one-on-one -on -one relationship. Um, so, you know, it's really important to kind of look at that 
you know, remember that multi-level marketing, all sorts of areas can be cultic. Uh, yes, that reminds me of the uh, famous US case of the group known as uh, Nexvium, which was marketed as a self-help group, but it ended up being a massive cult with a huge human trafficking scandal. A lot of my um, audience for my podcast are college-age students, and coincidentally, this has been uh, said to be the group that's most vulnerable to cult recruitment. So why is it they would go after this group in particular instead of other groups, and what are some steps that uh, young people can utilize to keep themselves safe? I know you just gave a lot of really good uh, signs to look out for in different groups people might join. Good. Um, I'm glad that's useful. Um, so I think, you know, when we go off to college, we're at a transition in our life. You know, everything's changing, isn't it? You know, and if we're fortunate enough to have a stable home, we're leaving that home. Um, and a lot's changing. Our bodies are changing. Our level of maturity is changing. So many things happening. Uh, so I actually think that that, that creates a level of, of vulnerability because our, we're a bit, we could be a bit, discombobulated can't we um so um i think that's you know that's probably a key point another area of vulnerability can be you know like if we we suffer a bereavement or something at that stage but you know sometimes it's nothing to do with vulnerability or anything like that. Sometimes it's just because you're in the wrong place at the wrong time and you're just really unlucky that, you know, because some organisations hide their true nature. You know, they don't um, declare they're a cult, obviously. So like Nexium, you know, you think you're getting into something that's going to be life enhancing and actually it really isn't. But there's no way of knowing from the outside because nobody's telling you. So in terms of, you know, what to do to stay safe, I think it's really important to always hold on to yourself and your critical thinking and trying to be skeptical skeptical if you can it's like yeah okay you're saying that but you know whatever and those are skills we're meant to learn at university or college or whatever but they're not necessarily encouraged within religious or other types of settings um the other thing i always do is if an organize if i you know if if you're thinking of joining an organization check it out online i write that i type in the name of the organization in cult afterwards and if nothing comes up i'm like phew and if something comes up listen to it be skeptical again and be use critical thinking but really listen to others who've left you know it's not worth i don't think in the long run if it is a cult like if somebody had been looking up next him and thinking shall i join and there were people who'd spoken against it and you think oh well they're just there's something wrong with them they're not they're a bit you know they're just fed up with them um maybe they're wrong and not the group if you sort of mean so 
it's important to just listen and, and hear what those people have to say. Um, but make up your own mind, but be wary. Um, and educate yourself. Although actually I have heard people who I've worked with who said, well, I used to study cults and I thought I understood about cults and I still ended up in a cult. So it's like, oh, educate yourself, get to know what a cult is, but, but hold on to yourself as well. And then they'll tell you they're not a cult. So if anyone tells you they're not a cult, then run for your life. <laughs> Uh, yeah <laughs> but we're not a cult well oh why are you even mentioning it you know so um and you know but still read up on cults and yeah as i said it, they come in many different forms so one of the tragedies for some people is they may leave a religious cult because there are religious cults and then they walk straight into some other type of cult, maybe like Nexium or, or something like that, because they don't realise that it's exactly the same. It just has different packaging on it. And um, yeah, educate yourself. And I think that uh, Stephen Hassan, do you know his work, Stephen Hassan? Uh, yes, I, I think I've read his book before, yes. Good. You know. Um, combating cult mind control and he's written some other books they're really good about you know just being careful and um that kind of thing so yeah i think that's all i wanted to say about that well thank you so if someone listening to this podcast suspects that they or somebody they know is in a cult what actions would you recommend that they take next for either educate yourself so back to that same thing um tread carefully if somebody is in a cult because they have a they will have a mindset where they will be loyal to the cult and not to to you even if they're family members because cults thought reform works in a really sophisticated way it's a very intense and very effective system and it does brainwash people and i think stephen hassan says you know don't challenge people straight on like oh you're in a cult but to actually come i always think of it as coming from the side <laughs> if that makes any sense and and get them thinking critically you know find out about the group um ask them questions you know, so help them to start to to think for themselves. I'm not saying it's easy because it isn't, but um, and there are a number of people who are exit counselors, mainly in the US, who are very effective. And Steve Hassan's book, probably most effective actually with this, he's an exit counselor. And another tip I was told years ago is don't hand over loads of money, don't pay for courses in the cult and someone has an inheritance don't hand don't hand the inheritance to that person because there are many people of my generation who handed over massive amount of money to to cults uh, their inheritances houses all sorts so if you can try and protect that uh, that that financial side because it just pays for the leader to do their work basically
Yeah. That's a very good point. So how would someone go about leaving a cult? And in your opinion, how could we support somebody when they're in that process of leaving a cult or if they've just left a cult? Yeah. Well, they'll be very traumatized. Um, It'll be a big shock. It's a very big adjustment coming to terms with the fact that you were hoodwinked or you, you know, you were abused, that sort of thing is, is very hard. Um, so, and it probably depends. There's probably, you know, as many ways of leaving a cult as there are people who leave. Sometimes it's a slow leaving. So that person starts to get doubts. They start to think critically for themselves. They think, oh, and a crack starts to appear in that sort of marble edifice, as one of my PhD participants said. Um, and and they start to doubt and gradually they, they start to leave. There are others who suddenly leave. They're like, oh, I'm out of here. And then there are others who have an intervention or... Um, when when somebody actually pulls them out. Um, uh, another thing of what you're saying, it seems like it's really important to have people on the outside of the cult that care about them and are there to help them out if they leave. And yeah. if they don't have that, it makes it harder to leave, but also a lot easier to get sort of stuck in there, even if it's an abusive environment, because what else do they have? to go to like who else are they going to go to if they need help if they just have this group I mean that's such a good point and I guess that's the other side you know with families to to stay in touch don't give all the money to them but stay in touch write letters do anything you can to keep that attachment there's one thing Alexandra Stein talks about in her book terror love and brainwashing is how how cults move the natural attachment to primary family and primary carers parents siblings whatever and they move it over to the cult and to the cult leader so when that attachment is is to the leader um they need to then re-establish that attachment and that connection and so um yeah i mean some of my so i did a master's and a phd and i interviewed former members and i asked them what helped you recover and for one person the family had to look after them for like nine months after they left they had to pay for everything they went back home they were adults but you know they kind of regressed and they just needed that help and they needed the therapy um uh, and uh, you know really they needed to understand what happened to them in this group. They needed to understand thought reform and brainwashing and kind of what was going on. Otherwise, people feel very lost. Yeah. That's a very good point. And then another part about having people who care about you that aren't in a cult is that it sort of breaks down on us versus them mentality because they'll say, oh, anyone who's not in our group is a bad person. But then they can think to themselves, well, my friend's not in the group, but I know them, they're a good person. Or my mom's not in the group, but she's a good person. You know, it sort of starts those cracks like you were talking about and can be the uh, the beginning step to uh, deprogramming, as they call it. 
There's a lot to say about the recovery process, but um, I'll let you ask the questions and see where we go next. Of course, I just used the word deprogramming, which you might see a lot when it comes to cults and the process of leaving cults. How would you define the process of deprogramming? Well, actually deprogramming is a word that's used and was used sort of in the literature. So it has a very particular meaning uh, in the, the kind of cultic studies literature and which was actually referring so way back in the sort of 70s there was a lot of deprogramming going on and I don't know if that's what you're referring to but sort of when someone was forcibly removed from the cult in order to free them so two of my participants in my um, studies were actually one of them was was literally shoved in a taxi when because the cult the cult was hiding them from the family so the family couldn't find them and so when they finally found them they literally said into this taxi we're taking you and they got them out actually they found a specialist person who was a deprogrammer so it's quite a loaded word in terms of cult uh, world and cult literature so that was stopped I mean that had to stop you know it couldn't be done that way it was coercive and it could be really traumatic and the people I interviewed which were my participants they said they were glad it happened but uh, it was very traumatic so now uh, the International Cultic Studies Association published a book on exit counselling and Stephen Hassan and Pat uh, Ryan, who's involved with the International Cultic Studies Association, they're exit counsellors or they do an intervention. So this now has a code of ethics um, and, you know, it's done with consent, promotes critical thinking and, you know, especially around thought reform and doesn't violate the rights of the individual for self-determination, they say. Although there is a question because the cult very often has already overridden their self-determination or their, their freedom, but, but you, you can't go around about that in that way now. It's, it's unethical, but it was very interesting and there's quite a bit of stuff written about it, I think. Um, so it no longer happens, hopefully. So when someone leaves a cult, they might come to me for post-cult counselling. What I do is I go through a, a recovery workbook, so like an actual programme, which I take them through a number of different psychological areas and I help them to understand what happened to them in that setting. And I just wrote a book. Uh, which is just the manuscript's just gone off so it'll probably be out next uh, April if I might say something about that. Well congratulations to you I look forward to reading your book. Thank you may I tell you what it's called? Of and course then... absolutely we would love to hear all about your book. Okay so it's called Walking Free from the Trauma of Coercive Cultic and Spiritual Abuse a workbook for recovery and growth. 
So what I did is through all my research and the, the clinical work that I do, I realized that people who've been in a coercive cultic situation need more than just regular therapy. Like they can go and talk about what happened to them, but it's not enough. They need psychoeducation and they need information, uh, including thought reform. And, and so what I did is I, I created a kind of map, literal map. So the book's got a map in the front of it that um, my cousin uh, drew for me. And she took my ideas and she, you know, how brilliant artists are. So hopefully it will be helpful to people leaving cults and they'll be able to see you know that they can go through this sort of little journey and hopefully it brings them to a place where they can walk free and it's for former members and survivors of spiritual abuse and coercive control but it's also for their therapists so the idea is that hopefully if if everyone wanted to that they could go through this with the, the therapist because there's nothing else quite like this out there. There's some really good books uh, and some really helpful stuff, but I'm hoping this might serve that purpose and help people to, to exit. So when they've exited, but to fully exit, if you saw what I mean. Well, that's incredible. And thank you again for your time with us today and for all of the knowledge you've shared and for the work that you do. If you or someone you know has been a victim of a cult, help and healing are available. Organizations such as Families Against Cult Teachings, spiritualabuse.org, the Family Survival Trust, and Hope Valley Counseling provide resources and aid to those impacted by cults.